Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Um, make sure we have a phone number so we can communicate with you. Amen. All right, children can be dismissed. And youth can be dismissed. Amen. And for the rest of us, Amen. I don't have, there's no slides back there if y'all are looking for them. We're going to turn to the book of James. Amen. James chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 18. Amen. James, who is the uh, was the half brother of Jesus, and many theologians' commentaries conclude and summarize James as the Proverbs of the New Testament. So, as Proverbs was to the Old Testament, a book of wisdom, James is to the New Testament. The difference. Proverbs are more um, theoretical wisdom, whereas James is how to live a, a, a wise life, if I could say it that way, but full of wisdom. And if we'll take the writings of James to heart and apply them, amen, we will be better for it. So I'm going to kind of take an excerpt out of the first chapter of James, and we're going to look at that. Let's read verses 18 through verse 25. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, or because of that, my beloved brethren, let every man, and that's not gender specific, that's speaking of every believer, every human being, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Because of that, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Here's the wisdom of James. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. He beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Amen. And I want to teach a little bit tonight, Bible study from these verses of scripture on the test of response to the word 
Amen. The test of how we respond to the Word of God. Amen. You can be seated. One of the uh, theologians that I read breaks the book of James down into 14 different tests. And um, this test of our, I'll, I'll just share with you those, uh, I'm sorry, 13 I think it is. I'll share with you those in case you want to look into how maybe they were broken down, but I, or just you can hear me share them, whichever. First is the, the test of perseverance and suffering. Second is the test of blame and temptation. Third is the test of our response to the word. Fourth is the test of impartial love. Fifth is the test of righteous works. Next, I forgot what number I was on. The test of the tongue. G, the test of, I'm kidding. Mix, uh, the test of humble wisdom. The test of worldly indulgence. The test of dependence. The test of patient endurance. The test of truthfulness. The test of prayerfulness, and finally, the test of true faith. So of these 13 tests, I want to talk to us tonight about the test of how we respond to the Word of God. And the first thing that I would state is simply this, that my perspective or your perspective determines your response. So your perspective determines how you will respond. Amen? If I could say, maybe expound on that a little bit and say it this way, your perspective of God determines how you'll respond to his word or even whether you will respond to his word, your perspective of God. Amen? There are certain people that when I hear that, back in the day when I heard that Mama Bush made cheesecake, my response was different. Uh, if I heard that Mama Bush made fried chicken, we... There were literal church fights that almost took place, amen, because perspective determines response. If somebody said, well, we got, you know, we got some chicken from Walmart, probably not going to respond quite the same as I would if somebody told me they had uh, some fried chicken that Mama Bush had made. I'm going to respond differently because my perspective determines my response. And I want to say that maybe an understatement to that is this, that God's word is the preeminent evidence of God's goodness. How, how do we know that God is good? The number one litmus is not, you know, I gave, you know, the Santa Claus thing where I gave God a list, and if he got everything on my list right, then God is good. That's not a good way to live out your faith in God because God knows things you don't know. And so sometimes he's not going to give you what you ask for. He asked for a pet snake, and, and Santa Claus says, no, you don't need a pet snake. All right? God knows there's things that we ask for that we don't need. And so he doesn't give us everything that we ask for. And certainly doesn't give us things the way we thought he was going to give them to us. God does things differently because he knows things we don't know. But whether God does those things or not, that's not the number one evidence that he is good. The, the premier evidence that God is good is his word. It's the 66 books between the covers of your Bible that are the preeminent evidence of God's goodness toward us. So let me tie those two together. First of all, James, if we start in verse 13 of James chapter 1, I hope you guys will follow along with me. All right? James is making a little bit of a contrast here to point to the goodness of God. And the contrast is this, that first of all, uh, he contrasts the man who responds to adversity and opposition 
by saying God is tempting me. All right, in verse 13, James says, let no man say when he is tempted that he is being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So that's the first element that James lays out in in this contrast. And then he opposes that with an explanation of the goodness of God. So he says, God is not the man, is not what is tempting you. And then he contrasts it in verse 17 and verse 18. And he says this about God, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variables nor shadow of turning. Of his own will, he begat us with what? The word of truth. What's the word of truth? It's the Bible. His will. He he birthed us through the knowledge that he gives us in the word. We have access to new birth. We have access to salvation through the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All right, so he, he opposes these. He says, God is not what is tempting you. God is what is good. All right, when you go through trials and temptation, amen, God is not tempting you. God is good. Amen, and to prove that God is good, he gave us his word. And his word is what, if without his word, we wouldn't know how to be saved. We, would, we wouldn't know what salvation was. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have any kind of a template or a roadmap for salvation. So how we view God is critical. Our response to God's word is affected by our view of God. And, and in this passage of scripture and throughout the book of James, primarily probably in the first chapter, James talks a lot about both trials and temptations. And he uses the same Greek word for both trial and temptation. The word is parazo. All right, he uses it interchangeably for test and temptation. All right, and, and, or, or for a trial and temptation. Now here's the difference. A trial comes to strengthen our faith where temptation comes to undermine our faith. All right, the trial comes to prove us whereas temptation comes to move us. All right, temp- if somebody tempts you, they're trying to get you to do wrong. A trial is trying to prove that you have morals and you have character. A trial proves your character. All right, a test proves your character, right? In school, they gave you a test. The test was not, contrary to what some of you might think, the test was not given to you to prove, to, to get you to cheat, all right? The test was given to, to prove what you know. It's to prove your knowledge, all right? And so, but James uses the same word interchangeably between trial and temptation. And, and the reason for that is because we can be faced with the same circumstance And dependent on our perspective of God, we can either view that as a trial or we can view it as temptation. The same thing can come against us. Sickness comes against our body and we either, depending on how we view God, we view that as a test, an opportunity to prove that I trust in God or we view it as temptation. This is my opportunity to walk out on God. All right, it's the same word, it's the same trial, it's the same situation that's coming, but depending on my perspective of God, I either view it as a trial or I view it as a temptation. Amen? So money gets a little bit tight. Depending on my perspective of God, I either view that as an opportunity that I'm gonna continue to be faithful in my tithing so that I can prove that God is faithful 
Or I can say, you know what, God is, God is tempting me. He, mu he must not want me to pay my tithes this month. Amen? Same thing. Either situation, I'm going through a financial tr struggle right now. I don't see how I'm going to pay all my bills. But what I do with that depends on my perspective of God. If I know that God is going to take care of me, you know what I do? This is my opportunity to try God, to prove that he is true. Amen? Right? I, I got a little bit of a headache. Here, here's the this, this, this struggle, right? Same person, but my perspective of God. I got a Sunday morning, got a little, little bit of a headache. You know, the, the family, there's issues going on with the family. So I view it one of two ways. Either, you know what, God is my healer. I'm going to go to church anyhow, and I'm, I'm going to make my way to the house of God, or God must not want me to go to church today. Same, same thing, dealing with the headache, but my perspective of God determines my outlook on this. Is it a trial or is it a temptation? Right? Some person in the church is getting on my nerves. Some of you just looked at somebody. And how we view that, well, God must not want me to love them because they're on my nerves. That's temptation. The trial is, no, I'm going to love them anyhow because I know the word of God commands me to love them. And love is not always easy. Amen? But this is a test. It, God is testing me to see how I'm going to come through this. Amen? I'm fasting today. I'm not. I'm saying hypothetically. I'm fasting today. And my coworker brings in cookies. The one that views God, this is the temptation, says, God must not really want me to fast today. Obviously, God would not have allowed my coworker to make cookies today if he wanted me to fast. So God is tempting me, so I'm going to eat those cookies but if you trust in God, if, amen, if you understand this is a trial and not a temptation, then you say, no, this is, this is what fasting is all about. Amen. Fasting is about me proving to my flesh that it is subjected. Amen. That I've subdued my flesh. Amen. And, and, and James says, God will not tempt you. God is good. He's not the tempter. Amen. God is good. And the preeminent evidence of his goodness is that he begat us. He offered us salvation. Through his word of truth. I'm glad if you got a, a, a pay raise on your job. That's awesome. I'm glad that you got a new home, a new car, a new boat. I'm glad for all of that. But that is not the preeminent evidence of God's goodness. The preeminent evidence of God's goodness is that you can open up your Bible and you can understand the word says you got to be born again of the water and of the spirit. Amen. The, the preeminent evidence of, uh, of, God's, of God's love and his goodness is his word of truth. Romans 10, 14 through 17. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and glad tidings of good things. Verse 16, but when they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, uh, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? And here it is in verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. All right, again, salvation. Without the word of God, there is no salvation. Without the word of God, all of your goodness, all the good things you've ever done, 
could not earn you salvation. The only way that you and I in this room tonight have the hope of salvation is through the word of God. This is the preeminent evidence of God's goodness. He gave us his word. Ephesians 1 and 13. In whom you also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth. You trusted when? After you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed. After you believed what? The word of truth. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. I'll say that again. Be, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And our response to the word of God. So, again, tonight the Bible study is going to be about our response to the word of God. But our response to the word of God depends on our belief that this book is evidence of his goodness. Amen. If I look at this, if I look into the word of God, there's going to be things in here that are going to be hard to receive. How many of you have ever heard something preached or taught that wasn't always easy to receive? It went against your preconceived idea. It went against what society was saying. And then you heard the word of God or you read the word of God and it dug a little bit deeper than you were comfortable with. Amen. But, but when you believe that this, that this book, the word of truth, is evidence of his goodness that saved us and begat us, that we could be the first fruits of his, creature, of his creatures, then we respond to the word of God. Amen. When that is our preeminent belief, that above everything else, I thank God for all the good things that he's done in my life, all the people that he's added to my life, but all those things are secondary that he gave me his word. And when you believe that, that's the, here's the, let me simplify. The reason some people don't obey the word of God. They don't do what, what we're getting ready to talk about that James said. They never, they never become doers of the word. They come to church every Sunday, but they never graduate to be endures. And, and it comes, the reason I'm starting here is because this is the foundation of it all. When you don't look at this book as the prime evidence of God's goodness to us, then you're not going to respond to it. You'll hear it. I mean, some of us have heard more preaching. We got no excuse not to be saved. We've heard so much preaching, and yet we don't respond because we don't really believe that's evidence of God's goodness. But our perspective determines our response. How do you believe that God is good? How do you believe God is good? How many of you, good, how many of you are good parents or try to be good parents? I'm concerned right now. Some of you don't have your hands up. I said try. I gave you a little bit of leniency there. All right. The opposite of that is you're trying to be a bad parent. So let me ask you again. How many of you are trying to be good parents? All right, good. I'm getting better response there. Some of you are like, well, I don't want to claim something. I'm not, you know. How many of you good parents have to tell your children no? Have to take that butter knife that your kid's trying to stick into the outlet? And you have to take that. They don't, they don't understand that, but you do that because you're a good parent. Amen. And so the word of God, when we understand that this book is God's preeminent evidence of God's, the, the preeminent evidence of God's goodness, it motivates us to respond to the word of God. The next thing that we'll talk about tonight is that my response determines my growth. 
So number one, my perspective determines my response. And number two, my response determines my growth. James 1 verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Let every man do three things. Again, not gender. Talking to the believers. Let every man be three things. Swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, we could take, oftentimes, we take this 19th verse and we turn it into a fortune cookie. Right? The little piece of paper that you get inside the fortune cookie. We take it out of the context and we think, man, these are three great principles of how to live a great life, of how to be in a successful relationship. If, you know, if my spouse would just be quick to hear, and right, it's usually them, if they would do this, if my spouse would be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, we'll have a great marriage. All right? And so we kind of lift it out of its context and think James has just given three great principles for how to be successful in life. But we got to stay in the context of what James is addressing because he ties it, right, first word, wherefore, or in other words, what I just talked about, I'm tying it now to this. What did he just talk about? He just talked about the word of truth. Amen? The goodness of God because he gave us the word of truth. And he said because we have this word of truth, there's three things we need to do. We need to be swift to hear. Hear what? The word of truth. We need to hear without delay. Okay, we, we need to be able to hear when the word of God goes forth. Again, whether it's preaching on a Sunday, teaching on a Wednesday, you and your Bible study, opening up the word of God. When you, when you hear that word coming into your spirit, you need, James said the first thing you need to do is be swift to hear. No delay in your hearing. How many of you have ever said something to your children and they were not swift in hearing? There was a delay. You need to clean your rooms 10 minutes later. Did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. You need to clean your room. 15 minutes later, you need to clean your room. Did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. Well, you're hearing. You sure you heard me? There's a delay there. There's a serious time delay because I don't think you heard me when I told you to. And, and the scripture, James says, your response is going to determine your growth. And the first thing that you need to do is hear quickly. The second thing that you need to do is speak slowly. That doesn't, no, every, no not that. Be slow to speak. James is using a contrast here because speaking is the contrast to listening. You can't listen when you're talking. You can't hear what God is saying when you're trying to tell God your opinion. Right? God is saying you need to cut this out and you're saying, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. All right? God is saying, I'm trying to help you here. And the whole time God is trying to give you his word, you're trying to speak your opinion. How do you know the word of God is not God's opinion? The word is God's truth, the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is not God's opinion. This is truth. It's forever settled in heaven. And, and what he's saying here, James is saying you need to be quick to listen, and you need to be slow to speak. In other words, stop talking and listen. Because you can't receive when you're talking, when you're sharing your opinions. Well, I, I just don't feel like. Amen? Anybody, your spirit rise up when the... Word is cutting, and you're, you're, you may not say it, you know, there's a few that have, you know, 
we'll still speak up in church, but for the most part, we've learned. You, you don't talk back when the preacher's preaching. You just keep your opinion to yourself. But inside of us, we're expressing our opinions. I don't, I don't, I don't have to do that. I don't feel like that's necessary. What are we doing? We're, 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 we're speaking, and you can't listen. You can't receive when you're expressing your own opinion. Now, you don't have to admit, but I think our spirits, they speak. And then he says, the third thing that you need to do is be slow to wrath. Again, this isn't a fortune cookie. This isn't how to be a better friend or a better spouse. He's talking about within the context of the word of God and our response to the word of God. Understanding the goodness of God is that he gave us his word of truth. And so what does this mean to be slow to wrath? He's not saying, you know, don't, don't slap somebody or don't be mean to somebody or talk kindly to them. He's talking about our relationship with the word of God. Be slow to wrath. And the word wrath that is used there is a deep internal resentment or rejection. It's a rejection of the word. Amen. Be, be, be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Don't talk. Just listen. Receive what the word is saying and then be slow to wrath. You need to be careful about rejecting what God is trying to speak to you. Galatians 4 and 16, Paul writes to the church at Galatia, and here's the question Paul asked them. And I, I get this a little bit as a preacher. Here's what he asked his church. He says he'd been gone a little bit, and, and the people, if you read the context, the people there that used to love Paul, and, and you know, he, was, he had brought salvation to them, he brought the gospel to them, and they loved him and admired him, but when he was gone, somebody else got in there and turned them against Paul. And here's what Paul says. He says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I, I've had, I can watch people get mad at me while I'm preaching. I mean, you can visibly watch people getting angry, and, and they just shut you off. And, and I, am I your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Are you mad at me because I'm preaching to you the word of God? Here's the deal. Everybody loves truth until it contradicts their truth. Right? If the preacher's preaching on the right subject, yeah, get him, pastor. I know who you're preaching to. Get him good. Until you feel that little red dot bouncing around on you. And then all of a sudden, we, there's wrath. We reject it. Uh, right? Until it goes against our belief. But James says, be slow to wrath. Be slow to anger. Be be careful about rejecting what the word of God is speaking. Be careful about rejecting. And, and, and let anybody, again, being honest, that something was preached and you, there was a resentment against the word. I'm not talking about a pastor's or a preacher's opinion. I'm talking about the word. And you know the preacher's in the word. And yet what he's preaching doesn't feel good to your flesh. And your flesh, there was resentment that builds up in you. And, and James is saying, be careful. Be slow to that because you cannot receive the word of God. You, you will not respond to the word if you are quick to wrath. If you're, every time the preacher preaches something you don't like, you shut him down. Amen? And, and why, why, James? Why is it important that I'm those three things, that I'm quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath? Why? Because James says this. Because the wrath of men does not produce the righteousness of God. All right, the wrath, if every time the word of God goes forth and it's something that you don't agree with, you shut it down, 
that will not produce righteousness. It will not produce the righteousness of God, right? When we build these walls up within us and we don't allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts. The writer in the scripture said that there's coming a day, I think it was Paul, that said that, that, that men are going to have itching ears. They want preachers up there that preach fables and stories and bedtime stories. Tell me, preacher, how good I'm doing. All right, tell me good stories that make me feel good about myself. Amen? Tell, tell me things that I want to hear. And, and James is saying here that we need to be slow to that because that does not produce righteousness of God in our lives. we got to be careful about letting these walls come up where we don't allow the word to penetrate our heart, challenge our lifestyles. We need the word of God to challenge every area of our living. I want the word of God to challenge me on what I watch. I want the word of God to challenge me on what I listen to. I want the word of God to challenge me in my attitude. I want the word of God to, and, and, but sometimes, if we're not careful, we give God this one little section he can talk to us about, but if he gets all, you know, we're like, God, stay in your lane. He's like, what do you mean lane? I made the road. You, you can't have it. If you want to grow in righteousness, the wrath, your wrath does not produce righteousness. We need God to confront our choices. The result is that the righteousness of God being perfected in our lives is hindered. Now, that's the negative, but the opposite is also true. If I'm swift to hear, if every time I come to church and every time I open up my Bible, my outlook is, okay, God, this is the preeminent evidence that you love me. And so if you tell me something in here, if you convict me, it's for my good. If there's something in here that doesn't line up with the way I'm living, I submit to your word because it's for my good. Amen? Challenge me in every way that you need to. Amen? And if we will do that, if we're, if we're slow to speak, if we're quick to hear, and we're slow to wrath, we're not rejecting what the word of God is challenging me on, then the opposite is also true that it will work the righteousness, it will produce God's righteousness in my life. I, I think the most dreadful place to be is in church but not changed. Well, I'm, I'm so mature now, Pastor, that I don't have any parts of my life that God needs to fix. You have been deceived. There's never an area of our, some part in our lives that God isn't working on. Amen? There's all, as long as we're on this earth, there's something, there's going to be some area in our lives that God is challenging on us. Challenging us on, rather. He's trying to change us. Why? To, to create and conform us and transform us into His image. Thirdly, a right response requires removal. Hopefully nobody's eating soon because I'm going to make you all sick here in a second. James 1.21, I gave you a warning. At, at least to me it's a little bit of a, but it's, it's a biblical um, exposition. It's the only word I can think of. It's from the scripture. So if it makes you sick, you have to take it up with God. James 1.21a, wherefore lay apart all filthiness. Everybody say all. All filthiness. God's all right with a little filthy. He ain't all right with it. Lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness or abundant wickedness. Lay aside all. Everybody say all. All filthiness and all wickedness. Now the Greek word that is used for filthiness speaks of a 
dirty garment. So yesterday, I was, now this is where I'm going to make you sick, so don't, don't be worried about my garments. Everybody, everything's good. But <laughs> I was out um, tilling the garden. My wife decided she wanted to uh, start a garden. It feels more to me like a farm than a garden. And so Brother Jones gave us some pointers and helped us out, and I went and rented a tiller. And I was out there, and my wife likes hard work and men, so I got to talk about this a little bit. <laughs> and I was out there working hard from, I don't know, probably seven or eight hours we were out there. And when I got done, I had dirt all over me. I mean, dirt from head to toe, dirt everywhere. And if I would have walked in here tonight in those same clothes that I had on last night or yesterday, y'all wouldn't have wanted to talk to me. You would have wanted to kept your distance. Who's that little guy in Charlie Brown Pigpen? Right? The flies are swarming. I smelled terrible. It was nasty and dirty. And, and the word talking there about laying aside filthiness is talking about that. Take off the dirty garments. Get rid of the filthy stuff. But there's another aspect of that word filthiness, and it speaks of earwax. Literally. All right? I'm talking about the Greek. If you study, if you look at that filthiness there, it's talking about Earwax. Remove all of your earwax. I told you I was going to work with you a little bit on your. Now, I just did a short study on earwax. I didn't want to get too deep into it in case somebody finds my Google searches. They're going to be like, what in the world is this guy doing? But earwax is actually something that is good. And, you know, don't start a wax museum or anything, but it. I think some people are, you know, they're, you can, if you could visibly see it from the out, it's not good. All right? So I'm not discouraging that you clean things up a little bit. But earwax, it actually protects your ear. Anyway, that's as deep as I'm going to get into that one. But an abundance of earwax, and over time, the wax becomes impacted. Right? It can become so impacted, as a matter of fact, if it's not tended to and taken care of, that you, you're no longer able to hear. Your hearing ability is decreased. I think one of my daughters, I'm not sure which one, I do, but I'm not going to put her on the spot, has a couple times she's had to go to the doctors and they've helped her out there a little bit. All right? I don't know. I guess we all produce different amounts, whatever. And it was, she said, it's amazing. I can hear again. She said, it's like I'm a different person. I can hear things. I, I can hear sounds that I couldn't hear before. I can hear you talking from across the room, and I couldn't hear that before. All right, and, and the result of this impacting, in fact, that one of the greatest sources of impacting is Q-tips. Right, we think we're doing good, and we actually get in there and push the wax in further. And the result is now we can't hear anything. The result of this is a lack of hearing. And so within the context of being a hearer and a doer of the word, James says you got to remove all of that. That impacting that is taking place, you're pushing things down deeper into your life that are hindering from you being able to hear what God is speaking. You come into church and God is speaking, but you got so much stuff pushed down into your life that you don't even hear it. Have you ever tried to drop somebody a hint? Like, you're trying to be generic and vague and tell them something, and they're like, oh yeah, and they didn't, you were talking about them and they didn't get it. Like, do you smell that? Oh, I know, some, somebody, it, it's you. I was trying to give you a hint. 
but but we, we, we're not able to hear because the word of God is speaking and, oh man, yeah, pastor, that's for them. No, it, it might be God is trying to talk to you, but because we've got so much stuff impact, we, we haven't removed anything. Listen, God can't add until you start subtracting. Amen. God is not going to add things to your life until you are willing to remove things from your life. And I'm going to prove that out to you biblically in just a minute. But the first step is that we have to be able to remove. Amen. We've got to get rid of some things. There's some things that we've got to let go of. And that takes a sensitivity to the spirit. There are things that we do. Amen. The writer in Hebrews did not just say to lay aside sin. What else did he say? Weights. Things that hinder us. How many of you know the goal is to win the race? He said, the reason you need to lay aside the weight and the sin is so that you can finish the race. And I, I believe there are many times that we're getting bogged down with things that are hindering us from winning the race. And God's number one goal for you is that you finish the race. That when we get to the end of this life, we hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You finish the race, amen? And God is trying to remove some things. God's trying to help us. We come to church and God's saying, hey, you need to get rid of this. And we're like, what? I, I, th I thought I heard something. You did. But you got stuff so impacted into your life. And you're not willing to remove any of it. And God's trying to challenge you because he's got better things for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless your family. Amen. He wants to bless your children. But God can't do that. We limit God's ability to work in it. We limit our ability to respond because we don't, we're not willing to remove. How do you believe that it's the will of God that we remove sin from our life? Amen. I, I hope we still believe that. It's amazing how many churches today are preaching that it's okay to continue with sin in your life, which is so contrary to the word of God. Grace is not God's license for you to sin. That is a perverted doctrine. That is a perverted message. That is a hell-driven message to the church. Grace was never meant to be a license for you to continue in sin. Grace is when God comes along and says, okay, you've done as much as you can on your own. Now let me help you the rest of the way. Amen. So a righteous, or rather a right response requires removal. We need a big spiritual Q-tip to come in this place. Have you know in yourself, you know the difference when you're really open and you say, okay, God, anything, anything you ask of me, Lord, anything in my life. David said it in Psalms 51. Search me, O God. Create a right spirit. Cleanse me. God, get that Q-tip. And anything and everything that's not right, take it, God, get rid of it. Amen. But the result of that spiritual impacting, when we refuse to remove, and we just keep pushing those things down deeper, and our spirits become more impacted, we lose our ability to hear. What things hinder us from hearing the word of God? What, what are the things that, it, that get impacted into our lives that we come to church and we're tone deaf. We don't feel conviction anymore. We don't hear God challenging us. Okay, if every time you come to church, the preacher's preaching to somebody else, that's not a good sign. All right, that, that is 
That is a sign of spiritual impacting. So what, what are some of those things that hinder us from hearing the word of God? First of all, it's our own truths. We have our own truths. So God starts speaking. but We got our own beliefs impacted so deeply that we don't hear what God is saying. We have our own opinions. Secondly, we have our preconceived ideas. All right. Thirdly, we have the voices of this world. So much of this book today is so contrary to the world we live in. To even preach against the perversion that is being unleashed in our world today is, is more and more tr truly being considered hate. It, it, if things continue in the path they're going, it won't be long for 90% of what's preached in a, a godly pulpit will be considered hate crime. And you guys better make up your mind right now whether you really believe this or not. Because right now it's easy to come to church where truth is being preached, but it ain't always gonna be that way. So you better make up your mind right now if, if you're really in it to win it or if you're just here for a social get-together. The voices of this world, right? They're, they're telling us. They're telling us today. You can just, I mean, stuff I never thought I'd hear. You could choose your gender, right? Men, men and men can be in relationships together and be happy. Women and women could be in relationships. Hey Amen. You could, you could be a dinosaur if you identify as a dinosaur. You can identify as whatever you want. That, that, is, that is contrary to the word. Of, but if we're not careful, we hear that all week long, and then the preaching comes, and, and, and we don't want to hear it because we've been impacted. There's an impacting that has taken place in our lives, and it's contrary to what the word of God is speaking. And so we're not willing to remove anything because we've been so influenced by the voices of the world we live in. Tradition is another one. All right, tradition, the way that things have always been done. Amen? When we come into... How many of you want everything God has for you? I'm everything. Everything God has for me. And if I find something in this book, it may not line up with my tradition. It may, line, may not line up with the way I always thought things had been done. But if I see it in the scripture, if the word of truth, God's greatest preeminent evidence of God's love for me, if I see it in the word, no matter what tradition says, I want that for my life. Amen. But things get so impacted into our lives and when the word comes to challenge us, we can't even hear it. The cares of life are so busy. I mean, how many of you have had a busy day today? Had a busy week this week? If we're not careful, we come into church and we're so busy. We're here, that's good. But that's not hearing. Being here, it's, it's H-E-R-ing, H-E-R-E-ing. That's not really a word, but... You're here, but you don't really hear because we're so busy. Our minds are everywhere else. Minds are on the weather tomorrow, all that work I did yesterday. My wife didn't even pat me on the back. No, she did. I'm, I'm just saying I, somebody else. She did pat me. She thanked me. She, said, she, she bragged on me, told me what a great job I did. But our minds can be on so many different things. And then we come in and the, and the word, the word, the, the thing that has the ability to save us, goes forth and we don't even hear it because our minds are everywhere else. And James says, the first thing you got to do is you got to remove all filthiness 
and all wickedness. You got to get rid of all of it. Amen. You got to let that Q-tip get down in there and get rid of everything. You got to get rid of all of it. Amen. If you're going to get the next part, you got to do this part first. You got to get rid of all of the filthiness and the wickedness. And then after he deals with the removal, he moves to the next step, and that is that a right response requires a right spirit. The second part of James 1.21, he says, And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. He says, now I'm going to tell you what to add. But understand that the meekness, the right spirit, that is necessary, has to be preceded by removal. You cannot receive the word of God. You cannot receive the... The, the preaching of the word of God, you can't receive the teach, you cannot receive doctrine until you remove things. Amen, you cannot receive the hard teachings of the word of God until you're ready for God to start removing things out of your life. And the moment that you stop allowing God to remove things is the moment you start becoming offended at what God's trying to add to your life. God's trying to add things to you and you're been out of shape. You're mad at the preacher. Who are you to tell me I gotta be blessed? Who are you to tell me? Who, who do you think you are? And we get bent out of shape by the very thing God is trying to add to us to bring blessing to our homes and our families. But a right response requires a right spirit. Amen? When you set aside the filthiness and you set aside the wickedness, how do you know how we do that? How do we set aside filthiness and wickedness? Not a, I, I know lately I've set you guys up so everybody's afraid right now. Repentance, that's how we do it. Everybody's like, nah, I ain't doing no more, buddy. Last couple times, all right, repent, that's how we do it. We get rid of filthiness, and we get rid of wickedness by repenting. By not just, repentance is not just asking God to forgive us, that's part of it, but it's also making a turnabout in direction, amen, that God, I'm not gonna keep going that direction. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm willing right now, let your spirit help me to make changes in my life. I don't wanna keep living that way. All right, so once we've done that, once we've set aside the filthiness and the wickedness, then with meekness, everybody say meekness, we are able then to receive the engrafted word. The engrafted word. To engraft something means you implant it, you make it a part of. All right, so when, if we could look at it that way, when, um, when, when the angel came to Mary and he... Uh, the, 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 the seed of the Holy Ghost was placed within her. That was the, the word that, that the Spirit of God was implanted within Mary. It became a, a part of her. It, it, when, when the engrafted word is something that God, it's not just something that I hear any longer. It's not just something that I see. It's not something that I do on Sunday. It's not just something that I heard the preacher say on Sunday. It becomes a living, breathing part of me. That the word of God is literally engrafted into me. Amen, but we have to do that with a spirit of meekness, which is humility. How do you know it takes humility to receive the word of truth? How do you know it takes humility when the preacher's stepping on your toes and you, your flesh don't like it? It takes humility to walk out from that pew and come down to an altar and raise your hands. How do you know that it does? It take, you know, every time somebody comes to an altar, we need to celebrate that because it, that's a, especially people that are new to our church, that's a big step. 
because they're making a confession to everybody around them that whatever that preacher just preached applied to me in some way. And when they walk down to an altar and they lift their hands, we need to celebrate that because that is a huge step because the only way you can receive the engrafted word of God is through a right spirit, through meekness, amen? And the meekness only comes after you have laid aside all of the filthiness and the superfluity, after you've cleaned your ears out real good, right? The only way you can hear is after you've cleaned and gotten rid of that filthiness. And then lastly, a right response is the right answer. So let's read James 1 and 22 says this, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. Doers of the word. It's, it's amazing to me. There are 66 books in here. I was talking to Brother Huckabee. I think that's who it was. No, it was, it was Brother Douglas. He was telling me about a guy that comes, or yeah, I, I don't know if he sees this. I probably shouldn't have said who it was. Anyway, the chances are he will not. Those of you that go to that know Brother Douglas, don't, don't tell them. I, I don't mind if Brother Douglas knows it, but I don't want to put anybody on the spot. Anyway, this gentleman came to Brother Douglas and was ready to lead the church over Christmas trees. All right, he found one scripture in the Bible that he thought made, if you have a Christmas tree, you're going to hell, took it out of context. Anyway, made a doctrine out of it. Which if that's your belief, you don't have to have a Christmas tree. If that's your personal opinion. I don't think you have any scripture to work with, but if that's your opinion, God bless you. Everybody has their own convictions on some things. Anyway, the point is, the man was bent out of shape about Christmas trees, but the guy came to church like twice a year. Right, he's straining at a gnat while he's disobeying some very obvious scriptures, all right? And it's amazing. We got this Bible with 66 books in it, and it's amazing to me how many people can't even obey some of the simple stuff in the Bible, and yet they're so caught up in these extra-biblical things, all right? They're all off deep into this stuff, and they can't even come to church faithfully. Amen? How, we we got to be hearers and doers of the word, Amen. Let, let's let's there's enough in here. I I'm 47, almost 47, and I still don't have just the stuff inside this book down. I got a lot of growing just to do here. I want to challenge you. Don't get off into some weird stuff out there. There's enough in here that I promise you it's going to be a struggle for you to get what's inside these 66 books. It's going to be a struggle for you to get those right. Let's stay in the book. Let's stay in the book and let's be hearers and doers of the word. Amen? Let's be hearers and doers of the word. And Anyway, a right response is the right answer. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, because when you do that, when you're a hearer but not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. When we follow the principles that we've listed above, it results in a right response. We move from being just hearers and we become doers. Right? When we follow, again, all the things that James just laid out, when we're quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, when we don't reject what God is speaking, amen, when we don't reject the word of God that goes forth, when we, uh, when, when we move from, when we remove the filthiness and the wickedness, when we receive it with meekness, the result of that is we begin, we move from being a hearer to being a doer. We, we start putting action into what the word is speaking in our life. And Paul, or James rather, said those that do not progress from being doers, notice he didn't just say that they do right. 
He didn't say, you know, don't be a hearer, but make sure that you do right. He didn't say that. He said being a doer. There's a difference between doing right and being a doer. How have you know somebody who you would identify as a talker? Oh, nobody wants to admit it right now. Maybe they're sitting by you. You ever called somebody a talker? What does that mean? That means they talk all the time. All right. I mean, when you identify somebody as a talker, all right, or somebody's a runner, that means they're they're pretty good at that. They do it. Mike is a runner. All right. For fun, Mike runs 30 miles. I would say he's a runner. Now I do run. I have run. Dog chase me, I'll run. All right. I'm, I may even get on the treadmill and run a mile, but I'm not a runner. All right. I'm, I'm not. I, I I do run once in a while. I was at the softball game last night. I ran from to first base. That was about it, but I ran to first base. All right, so I do run, but I'm not a runner. Why? And, and Paul does not, or James does not just say, you know, that, that you go from being a hearer to somebody who does. He said, no, be a doer. That's somebody who is consistently, constantly saturated all the time. They're doing, they're putting into action. The word of God is, is showing out in their actions, amen? I'm not just somebody who does the word of God. I am a doer of the word of God, amen? I want it to be in my lifestyle. I want it to be in my conversation. I want it to be in everything, how I respond to people around me. I want it to be in my attitude and my outlook. I want it to be in my perspective, amen? I don't just want to be a hearer. I want to be a doer of the word of God. It's who I am. And those who don't come to that place, they're, they're hearers. They come to church all the time, but they're not doers. They hear the word of God, but, the, but it never shows up in their lifestyle. Amen. They're hearers of the word of God, but their attitudes are awful. They, they, they show up to Sunday. They, they, they come to church and they do, but there's nothing changing in their lifestyle. They still treat people like trash. Here's what Paul, here's what, I keep saying Paul, I don't know why. James is who I'm talking about tonight. James said something's wrong with them. They didn't follow the process. All right, these people, here's what he says about them. They have deceived themselves. Somewhere the, the process broke down. Somewhere they, you know what happened? They stopped seeing the word of truth as God's goodness. They started seeing they stopped viewing this as God's goodness and they started viewing it as temptation. That all these rules in here that God is just trying to make me do wrong. No, all these things in here, God is trying to bless you. He's trying to bless your family. He's trying to bless your children. Amen. But somewhere along the line, the process broke down. Somewhere they stopped being swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Somewhere they began to reject the word of God and they stopped casting off the, the wickedness, amen, and the filthiness in their lives. And as a result of that, they have deceived themselves. Deceive, the word that is used there is to cleverly deceive. Right? They delude themselves. To delude, or the, the word could be used there to, to say this, that they think they're right, but they're wrong. Anybody ever... You're married, you've done this, men. I do this often. I, oh, I know, I know that was it. Uh, that wasn't it. Yeah, I know, I know it was there. I and, and 99%, 99% of the time, maybe a hundred, she was right and I was wrong. But I knew I was right until she showed me evidence that I was wrong. I I, I had deceived myself. I thought, anybody ever done that? You thought you were right. I mean, you 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 would have wagered on it if you were a, you know before Jesus you would have bet on it anybody I knew I was right but no I what I had deceived myself 
I thought something was true that wasn't true. That word that is used there, and, and I, wanna, I want this is a very important, so I want to say hear this. That word was used in mathematical equations to refer to a miscalculation. James said, these people that hear, but they don't, it doesn't produce doing. It doesn't saturate their lives to where they are doers. He said, those people are deceived. They, they have made a miscalculation. Those that are hearers but not doers, they're making a miscalculation. Now, if we're talking about the cost of two cheeseburgers from five guys and we miscalculate a little bit, that's not a big deal. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about not just your eternity, but the eternity of your families. Amen. We're talking about, amen, when we look into the word of God and we see things in there, like don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but we decide that our situation precludes us from obeying that scripture. We're making a terrible miscalculation. And we're not talking about cheeseburgers from five guys. We're talking about eternity. But here's what I found out. Most miscalculations don't show up until the cake is already in the oven. We don't notice it until it's too late. Anybody ever started making something, you decided, I don't, I don't need to follow the instructions? Or, you know, I know how to get from one to ten. I'll just skip to ten. And we do it ourselves. I, you know, you get to step 18 and you're like, man, I missed number two. And you got to take everything apart and start all over again. I, years ago, I was making the, uh, putting the girls' bunk beds together. And, you know, it's simple. You just follow the instructions. Well, I didn't do that. I have one little panel I put on backwards. And as a result of that, the whole bed didn't work. And I had to, you know, after three hours of work, you start all the way back over. I made a miscalculation. And we're talking about tonight's family night. And I, and I fear that there are some of us making miscalculations. We think that there are things that God is okay with that he's not okay with. Even though his word tells us that there are things in there that are not okay, and we decided I, I, it's okay for me, I can do it. I, I, can, I can keep a little bit of that filthiness in my life. I can keep some of that wickedness in my life, and we're making a miscalculation. I don't, I don't know necessarily, I've not done the math to figure it out, but they tell me if you start a space shuttle out one degree off at launch, that when it gets to its destination, it'll be thousands of miles in error. Just one degree at launch, but in reaching its destination, it's thousands of miles off. And I fear that if we don't, if we don't start allowing this process that, we, that James has laid out for us, that number one, it begins with trusting that God's word is for me, amen? That, 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 that this is the premier evidence that God loves me, is that he gave me, this is the only hope I have for salvation, is the word of God. And he gave me his word so that I could be saved and so my family could be saved. It starts with that trust. And so when God begins to deal with me, I'm not going to let wrath come out. I'm not going to reject what God is speaking to me. I'm not going to refuse to cast away the filthiness. But I'm going to allow God to, 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 to pull those layers out of my life. And not just the sin, but also the weight that does so easily beset me. And then with meekness, I'm going to receive the engrafted word of God. Why? Because I don't want to get to the end of this world. I don't want to get to the end of my life. I don't want to look back on it and understand that I'm a thousand miles off because I made one small miscalculation. I don't want to do that. I want the word of God to speak to me. I don't want to get to the end of this thing and look back and say, I sure wish. 
I wonder if there's somebody here tonight, God is pleading with you, and you know that he is, but you're saying, no, I'm okay, I can do this, I'm all right. Listen, you're making a miscalculation, and it may not show up today, and it may not show up tomorrow, but some point in your life, you're going to wake up, and your family is going to be scattered, and and your children aren't going to be serving God, and all of that could be spared tonight if you'll simply let the word of God deal with you. Uh, I'm, I'm all right, Pastor. Anybody ever tried to put toothpaste back in a tube? It's much easier than trying to get your family back serving God after you decided you could do it your way. And listen, I'm not, you could do everything right, and I understand your children can, they got to make their own decisions. So I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but I am saying, there's some things that we can do. Make sure I'm not making a miscalculation. And James lays them out for us. I, I, I tried tonight to lay them out as simply as I could. I know this, you know, Sunday I'll, I'll try to get you guys shouting Wednesday night's Bible study where I just want to reveal to you what the scripture is saying. So I want us to stand together tonight. I don't want to be a hearer. I don't want to be a hearer. I don't want to get to the end and a miscalculation because all I was was a hearer. I deceived myself because every time the word of God started convicting me, I shut it down. Every time the pastor started stepping on my toes, who's he think he is? Ain't no man going to tell me how to live. We end up, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible miscalculation. I want to be right with God. I want my family, I'm telling you, God's word, if you follow the word of God, your family will be blessed. I don't care what happens in this nation. I don't care, I mean, I do care, but in the context of what I'm talking about, no matter what happens in this nation, your family can still be blessed. You can still have peace in your home. You can still have joy in your home, but this word is how you get that. Amen? This is the preeminent evidence of God's love for us. So, Lord Jesus, I ask you tonight. Lord, I don't want to be just a hearer. I want to be a doer. I don't want to be that one who deceives myself. I don't want to be that one who makes a gross miscalculation, Lord. And my spiritual senses become so clogged and impacted because I'm not willing to remove anything. I'm not willing to let you convict me. I'm not willing to let the Holy Ghost Deal with me and remove things out of my life. I just want more things added. I, I, I want the blessings and I want the favor, but I don't want you to remove anything out of my life and I become so impacted that, Lord, I'm not able to receive the, the engrafted word of God into my heart and all I ever am is a hearer. I don't want to be that. I want to be a doer. Not just one who does the word. I want to be a doer of the word. Come on, I, I want to be identified when people look at me, they say he's a doer of the word. He's somebody who follows the word of God. He's somebody who lives out the principles of the word of God. He's somebody who responds the way the, the word of God says you should respond. He treats people the way the word of God says that you should treat people. That's what I, I want to be a doer of the word. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't have any more notes.
What time is it? It's 8.30. Hallelujah. Just want to challenge you all. How many of you feel challenged by the word tonight? Any enlightenment, instruction, open our eyes a little bit? God help us. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you.